Hi, I'm Tammy Potter, and welcome to the Pregnancy Process Podcast, a show designed to help you navigate the hugely transformative journey to motherhood, where you'll hear the unique experience of experts in this area and the incredible stories of women sharing their conception, pregnancy, and postnatal journeys so that you can have a healthier, more informed pregnancy. In today's episode, I'm talking to co-founder of not-for-profit Creative Women's Business and portrait photographer, Katie Cars. Katie has over 20 years experience as a photographer. And as much as she doesn't love this title, she is an influencer in this space but she's also the mum of two beautiful children. And in this episode, we talk about the journey Katie traversed to becoming a mum of two and the difficulties of finding your purpose and redefining yourself after having children when you run your own business in a creative industry. Katie, thank you so much for your time today. It's great to have you with us. My pleasure. Excellent. I think first, if it's okay with you, let's talk about your journey as a photographer, becoming a photographer, because I know, you know, it is such a specific industry to get into and it is very competitive, you know, especially these days. Um, And I feel that this is kind of the thread that ties everything that I want to talk about in together. So you've been a photographer for over 20 years now. Like, how did you get into that? Well, I first picked up my first camera when I was about, I don't know, 10 or 11. My grandfather, he'd been gifted a camera from his neighbour and he was quite into taking photos and he had these beautiful little black and white prints which I was quite enamoured by. And he he was quite handy with his hands and into like creating things. He was an engineer and he would make things. And I don't know, I just felt, it felt to me like photography was something mysterious that I wanted to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, my mum and dad were quite creative as well. And my mum sort of, I think she saw that creativity in me before I knew it was there and she sort of just pushed me towards um, taking photos so and it just sort of flowed on from there in high school there was a dark room uh, my first roll of film it had nothing on it but I had the bug I like was excited by not knowing what was going to be on in that film because you know back then you would process it yourself in a dark room you'd go out and take photos I remember my mom saying to me, I don't know what you did. And I'm like, I don't know either, but I want to try again. And I could have just gone, oh, well, this isn't for me, but I felt really excited by it. There's something about, I guess I have a bit of a science brain. I'm I'm sciencey, you know, like I like that whole doing things with my hands and creating something out of nothing. Do you know what I mean? So I it just excited me. So that's sort of how I started. And then I just kept on doing photography all through high school. And then after high school, I travelled for a year and then I went and studied photo media at Sydney College of the Arts, mm-hmm. just out of Sydney Uni. And then once I finished my arts degree, I got an honours degree. So I did four years of study. I realised that I wasn't going to be an artist because um, I studied photo media, which is very broad, you know, so photos could be the start of your media that you would create to go on a wall. 
or you right. could start with photography and then you'd end up creating it into um, a photo and a painting or a photo and a sculpture or light or you would create something that was around photography. Um, but you have to be a certain kind of person to be an artist and I was not that kind of person. Um, I'm very practical. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a big dreamer. I'm a big, I'm, I'm very practical, as you know. More so doer. yeah exactly so from that I realized that I needed to probably be a commercial photographer and I just found this commercial photographer or a photographer in the good weekend magazine he would shoot the covers of all sorts of different people celebrities through to you know whatever the latest story was and I was quite enamored by what he did so back then it was the yellow pages and I found his phone number and I called him literally every day until he let me come into his studio are you serious I didn't know that that's amazing so you were on the phone every single day calling him until he was like okay you can come into the studio that's such a great story I love that (laughs) so I went into the studio and I met him for an hour and we chatted and he was like well you know what do you want to do and I'm like well I want to learn the business of photography and Mm -hmm. I really like people and I see that you do a lot of portraits so that I feel like that's my calling um and then he start he let me start working with him every day for free and I did that for a a few months like that was lucky I was living back at home by then um that I could afford to do that um and so yeah the rest is sort of history from there I worked with him for a while he started paying me then I started working with other photographers and I just learned the photography business and I learned really that photography is the same. It doesn't matter where you work in the world because I've worked in New York and London. It's Mm -hmm. the same. It's the same business. Um, Everyone just has a slightly different eye and they have a slightly different take on how they're going to take that picture. Mm -hmm. Um, And I learned that we're a service industry basically. And I, I have that service industry background. I, you know, worked in general pants. I like to help people like that is just, it's that's what drives me Mm. so um yeah it's just it went from there and I haven't looked back I guess amazing so just a couple of things just from what you were saying then what is it that drew you to being a portrait photographer because you said you felt that was your calling um people I'm really interested in people I mean my husband calls me nosy but I don't (laughs) really think it's nosiness (laughs) um I'm fascinated by people like I just I want to know people's stories um I did a lot of work about this in during my honors degree at university and I don't know if it's because I lost family during the holocaust but like I have this incessant need to know about what people how people run their lives how people are I'm just very I'm, I'm very invested in people. So that's what drives me and that's what lights me up is being around other people. So I felt like, because I worked in the fashion industry as well, I worked with um, a very famous uh, fashion photographer for quite a long time as his assistant and it just bored me. I just, I didn't want to be sitting around waiting for hair and makeup for like three hours and then styling and then being really particular about the clothes and the way the clothes sit and the way the hair is I was just like this isn't for me I just want to connect with that person and try and create their image the way I see it so that's 
that's how I sort of have always sort of seen it. And all of my photos have always been of people. I tried to do some still lives once at university and they were terrible. So like that's how, that's what lights me up. Mm. Okay, cool. And just in terms of like, it sounds like your career has taken you to some quite interesting places. Where have you, where have you been with your photography career? So you lived in London and New York and you were working there. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, I assisted uh, Richard Bailey for quite a long time. He was a big fashion photographer. He was lovely. Um, And he was sort of my mentor really, but I knew I wasn't ever going to take like he was never going to pass the baton to me because I wasn't going to be the fashion photographer. Mm-hmm. But he he talked so much. He used to live in New York. Um, he used to do the Victoria Secret catalogs a long, long time ago. And he used to talk about New York, New York this, New York, New York that. And I was like, I've got to go there. Mm-hmm. So um, I went to L.A. and I worked with him in L.A. for a little bit and worked with a couple of other photographers there. And then I went to um, Canada, Toronto and Vancouver, uh, Montreal. And then I went to New York and I just stayed there for three months. And basically I couldn't get paid because there was no visa, really. I had to be sponsored by a photo- photographer. So I assisted some big photographers there like Stephen Klein, who shoots like the Calvin Klein campaigns. Um, And then I had a photographer offer me a position in his studio, um, but I didn't want to be an assistant anymore. I was, I'd had enough of it by then. I was ready to like do my own thing. Um, And luckily my grandfather was British Um, So I could go and live in the UK. Um, I could get a a visa to work and live in the UK. So I moved to London after that. And sort of when I got to London in September 2003, that's really when my photography career started. Um, So, yeah, 20 years years ago. Amazing. So how did the decision to have children alter your career path? Oh, God. Well, I wanted to have children a lot earlier than um, my husband, but he's a bit younger and he'd set up his own business. Um, And we'd moved back from the UK and gotten married. And I sort of thought, okay, let's go. Let's have kids because I didn't have any clients here. I was an assistant when I left. So I didn't know anyone and I didn't know how to meet anyone. I got an agent and they sort of tried to shop me around, but I just kept on not getting any clients from them. So I really wanted to have kids, but it took us a little while to get round to that point, probably about three years or so. And then finally um, we decided to make a go of it and we did. And I have to say after my first child, I was like, I'm jack of it. I just don't know how to start photography again. I don't know how to find clients. I don't know how I'm going to get my head around this, like what am I going to do in my life? There was a big, uh, there was a lot of like self-reflection and trying to understand what it is that motivated me and why I wanted to be a photographer. Um, And I think because your focus is pulled so much to your child, you, I I mean, it must be just an instinct thing as well. You, You sort of forget about that other stuff. I don't know. So yeah, the, I, I mean think- your brain, your brain totally changes. Like that, your brain chemistry changes in order for you to focus on the child. So yes, it's absolutely that's a hundred percent what happens. Like your your brain 
completely changes the neurons change yeah you you have like your the gray matter in your brain changes during pregnancy and then it changes again once you actually have the baby so absolutely what you're experiencing is nature doing its thing to make sure that that baby actually has an opportunity to thrive so nature doesn't want mothers to be focusing on anything else except the, the child you know, so what you were feeling is nature doing its work to make sure that your baby had its best opportunity in life to thrive. Because don't forget, we we are ancient beings, right? We're we're not we're not modern we're not modern beings. We're we're ancient beings. So we come from a time where if the mothers weren't completely focused on their babies, then a tiger could come along and snatch it you know if yeah. you know what I mean so we, we're we're kind of on the planes back in back in the day you know we're we're ancient beings so that's why um but before because there's so many there's, there's so many things that I when you're talking I'm like oh that's really interesting I want to I want to ask about that yeah. and um but I think before we go down your path. So you came back to Sydney and you were living in Sydney for a couple of years before you fell pregnant. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it was, it, it was in that time that you were trying to fall pregnant with your first child, but also trying to kind of reignite your career here in Sydney as well. That's right. Right. Okay. But are you okay talking about your kind of um, your pregnancy and childbirth journey how do you feel about talk and your birth story which one which one uh, <laughs> uh, um let's talk like let's talk about I think because I think it is a bit of a journey and for those that don't know I've known Katie for a number of years and I trained her postnatally from her first pregnancy and then trained her all the way through her until she fell pregnant with her second child trained her through that pregnancy and did the postnatal repair with that so uh, we've we've worked together for a long time um but if are you okay talking about your the birth of your first child and I I guess the subsequent kind of journey after that yeah um so Vincent was a really long labor um he's now nine so you know, it was a while ago, but I remember it vividly. Starting on a Thursday, I went into labour, um, but nothing happened. Uh, he didn't come out until Sunday morning at 3 a.m. So it was pretty long. Yeah. So <laughs> Thursday morning till Sunday, 3 a.m. Yeah. So that's kind of like three three days. Yeah. Okay, and are, are we? Are, do you feel comfortable talking any more about about your birth experience? Or yeah, so um, I was having lunch with some friends, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm in labor! <laughs> like, I've got to go to the bathroom. Like, I needed to wee. I needed to make some room because I was like, I'm having contractions. Like, and so it was just really light to start off with, and then it continued through that evening Thursday evening I was up quite a bit and then Friday or Friday I was you know it was just sort of off and on off and on Friday night was pretty hectic I didn't sleep at all and I felt like he was coming for sure um and Saturday we went into hospital and they checked me um and they're like oh honey you're nowhere near dilated (laughs) go home 
have a rest. You haven't slept for two nights, so you're beside yourself, tired. Um, they gave me some Panadine Fort and some um, Demazepan to help me sleep and rest. Mm-hmm. Which I didn't take, but my husband did instead. He took the Panadine Fort, but he took the. Uh, I took some Panadol though. I did take some Panadol, and I tried to sleep. I just like I didn't feel right about taking Demazepan and being all spaced out. But I probably, on reflection, I should have taken it. Um, so I slept on the couch that night, and I laboured that night definitely because I was up and up and about. Um, so that Saturday night, and then Sunday, I felt a bit better and a bit different, and I started walking around the block, and like it was still all over the place, but it was happening, you know. Mm. And so I went in Sunday afternoon at three p.m. Um, and they were like, "Oh, you're like three centimeters. It's like nothing." Um, and my waters didn't break and I had done calm birth and calm birth were like, don't let them break your waters, have a birth plan, have an idea, you know, and write it all down and give it to your midwife. And like, I cannot disagree with that more. (laughs) Like Mm. it was so bad that in my mind, and I'm like quite rigid when I've got an idea, I stick to that idea. Like I'm not flexible, you know, so this was my plan and this is, I'm sticking to this. And so the midwives, obviously they honor your plan. So I labored, pushing, labor, pushing, trying to get him out, but he's just not moving. Um, And eventually I'm like, I'm 10 centimeters dilated and it's midnight, I think midnight. And they said, he's not moving and we want to get him out. So we're going to have to give you an epidural and an episiotomy. Mm. Um, and I I remember as soon as I had that episiotomy, I mean, the epidural, I was so happy. <laughs> John, I said I was cracking on to the anaesthetist. <laughs> <laughs> he had he had a hole in his scrubs and I was like I can see your undies and so it's like easy <laughs> uh, but yeah once I had the episiotomy and I was like had my legs in stirrups it feels so archaic and then the registrar comes in with these huge salad servers because they had to get forceps in order to get him out mm. I could not believe the size of them I'm like you're sticking that in me and mm. she's like yep and I was like oh my god so and then he was out within not long but yeah it was pretty traumatic and so there was a lot of sewing that had to happen and it was long and I was so tired and I was swollen from all the pushing and I was swollen down there I was swollen in my face I was just uncomfortable um So if there's anything that, you know, I could take away from that, it's like don't have a plan, be open-minded. You don't know what's going to happen. Every birth is going to be different. Mm. Um, Be flexible. Listen to the midwives. They've done it a thousand times, you know. Um, I had a beautiful midwife and she just stuck with what I wanted and that was lovely of her, but I really wish that she pushed me a bit harder to break my waters and then it probably would have progressed a little bit better. Um, and afterwards the midwife said to me, oh, I think you did too much yoga when you were pregnant. And I'm like, what makes you say that? And I did do a lot of yoga. I was really into yoga. Mm. She's like, I think you've just overstrengthened your pelvic floor. And so you couldn't release enough. Um, I don't know. Is that true? 
A hundred percent. Yeah. So absolutely. Um, and I think what we're starting to see nowadays is predominantly more women are having hyper, what's called a hypertonic pelvic floor. So, and especially I think because, you know, the way that women do train is slightly different from probably our mothers before that, but what they are starting to see is predominantly more women having hypertonic pelvic floors. So they're going into labor with pelvic floors that are too tight or what they've done is because they've been so terrified of um, having some kind of pelvic floor dysfunction after pregnancy is that they've overdone on the pelvic floor exercises you know so they've they've strengthened 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 but they're not actually doing the release because you know the pelvic floor is a muscle so you can contract it but it also needs to be relaxed at the same time but what's happening is like women are just doing the contractions and they're doing too much of it And if their pelvic floor is already tight and they don't actually know that it's tight and they're doing more contractions, they're actually creating more of a problem. So then when it comes to the time of birth, you know, the pelvic floor needs to stretch three times its natural length. But if if it's too tight already and there's no ability to relax it, then of course, you know, you've it's just doesn't have that capacity to stretch through. So then you know, that's what's happening. You know, a lot of women are having hypertonic pelvic floors and they are ending up with things, you know, like they're either going down the path of um, emergency C-sections or, you know, their births are sounding a lot more like yours, which is why I definitely am very pro sending women to the specialist women's health physio before they while they're pregnant before they go through their birth just to see what's actually happening with their pelvic floor and personally I don't cue pelvic floor until someone's actually been to the specialist women's health physio because you just don't know what's going on with it so and absolutely yoga can do that strength training can do that so yeah that sounds I mean it's quite true so I mean, how, like, how did the, how did the, how did the birth, because, you know, if if for someone to view birth as traumatic, it definitely has an impact on their health and well-being as they come out of that fourth trimester and into their journey as, as being a new mom. How did your birth kind of affect your your journey as an early mother? Uh, I was so excited to be a mum. I really was. And I was so happy to have this perfect little boy in my life. He was just pretty cute, by the way. (laughs) So gorgeous. And I felt so proud and excited, but oh my God, it was so hard. I mean, I think also there's, I didn't have any of the knowledge about the pelvic floor. I wish I'd seen a, um, a pelvic floor specialist before or a women's physio before I'd um, given birth. So I didn't know any of that kind of stuff. Um, and also I'm a pretty wound up type person. So I like everything to be in a certain sort of. So, and then my life was turned upside down and by this little person, I, you know, I had so much love and I wanted to do the best by him. And I was so excited to have him in my life because you know, as soon as I met my now husband, I couldn't wait to have kids with him, you know. 
So, but it was hard because I really struggled with breastfeeding because um, I've I've got an underactive thyroid. So your breast milk takes a long time to come in. Um, and he had a tongue tie, so he would have latching problems. And I went to so many clinics and so many, you know, um, breastfeeding clinics and trying to like make it all happen. I was out of hospital within 24 hours as well, I've got to say. So my postnatal care was somewhat some grumpy um, midwife coming over and going, well, he's lost too much weight. What are you going to do about it? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I've never done this before. Help me. You know, and she's like trying to show me how to um, breastfeed properly. And then I have to go to extra, uh, a lactation specialist. This is all done through the public health system, which is amazing. And I understand that they're completely overstretched, but sometimes there's not a lot of empathy there for a new mother. And I I really felt that. Um, So, and I really felt the pressure that I had to breastfeed. My mum was really pressuring me, got to breastfeed. It's really important for attachment, you know, that kind of thing. But it was really hard for me. I mean, I had sore red nipples until he was over three months old. Mm. So it was painful. It was really painful. Um, But once we got into the rhythm of it, it was well and truly worth it. I I had to top him up with with formula and I felt guilty about that and I shouldn't have felt guilty. There's so much, so much guilt about that kind of stuff, which I think is completely unfair and unfounded for women. Mm. Um, but, you know, once we sort of hit the three-month mark, things changed and I felt great and good. Well, it's, you know, I think by the time they're three months, you've got your sort of groove on. Mm. Yeah. And so with that, because like I've said, I trained Katie postnatally after the birth of Vincent and throughout that, throughout her subsequent pregnancy and then postnatally as well. So I know that you did have abdominal separation. um, And if, if anybody saw Katie's quite a petite person. So, you know, and Vincent was quite a big baby. So definitely, and you know, a hundred percent of women have abdominal separation by their late stage of pregnancy, but you did have abdominal separation, which needed to be repaired. And I know that there was some pelvic floor dysfunction postnatally. How did that affect your, and you're a very fit, healthy person. Like, how did you find that journey back to training and being back in your body and feeling that kind of ownership and control over your body postnatally? Um, well, it was hard. I think I'm both my husband and I were pretty fit people and enjoy exercise for both our mental health and our well-being. So um, I said to my husband, I need to get back to the gym. And I've found Fitness First has a creche where I can leave Vincent for however long and so I quickly hot-footed it there and they said to me you should meet Tammy Potter yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I'd have to say I was pretty broken because I had also um the wrist issue the quarter veins yeah um so I was pretty broken when I came to see Tammy I've got to say um all over and like I used to run 
yoga, swim, like I would do anything, Pilates. Like I, I just like to exercise. I feel good exercising. So, yeah, I was pretty broken and pretty down about it, I've got to say. Um, I had to wear a wrist brace for quite a long time and that was upsetting to me because things weren't the way they used to be, like... <laughs> But, you know, you're never going to be the same after you've had a child. So mm. sort of had to let go of that. But I think seeing someone like you to help me through that journey um, was a massive impact on my life, um, my life in general and my mental health because it got me back to training and feeling like I had ownership over my body. So, mm. yeah. I don't know what else to say about that, but no, that's totally fine. And you can you can run and jump and skip and do all of the things now. I can, but there was a period of time when I couldn't. Um, I mean, I now I now wear a pessary at all times, um, and I probably will. But I have prolapsed, but that's from um, after having my second pregnancy, so. It's not as bad. It's definitely gotten much better, but um, it's there, you know, and it will be with me forever. So, but it, in terms of in terms of living your life, and and it's something that I think this is something that I think so many women just don't talk about. If you know what I mean, like I think, I mean, I remember my mum would probably kill me if I say this, but like, I remember my mum growing up, I never, like, she'd cross her legs sneezing, you know, like, it's something that's just the generation of women before us and their mothers, they just didn't talk about this stuff. They don't talk about the, the potential effects of pregnancy and birth on the women's physical body. And I think only now we're starting to almost opened that conversation a little bit more Um, because people are going through experiences that are personal experiences. And a lot of people maybe potentially don't want to be talking about them. And then when women are pregnant, you don't want to be freaking them out, but it's, these are conversations that need to have some kind of air around them that these things do happen. These are the potential effects of, you know, maybe not going to the specialist women's health physio before giving birth. And I think the more women that are exposed to these potential things that could happen, the the better the next generation is going to be. And I think it's something that just wasn't spoken about before, you know. Well, I mean, from my mum's perspective, she's like, I didn't know. I didn't know. I mean, I vaguely, she, I do vaguely remember at school or at some stage, she did talk about pelvic floor exercises, but they didn't, they didn't break it down like a women's um, physio would, Mm. you know, Um, and, you know, there are sort of levels of, of strengthening your pelvic floor. So um, it's not something that I really knew about. And I, yeah, I mean, I remember my mum doing the same. Like she'd always, we'd come home and she'd push through everyone to get to the bathroom first. Mm. You know? Yeah. And I think the most important thing from my perspective is to educate women that it doesn't have to be like that always. I mean, I remember one of my clients who had 
severe pelvic floor dysfunction to a point where after birth, her daughter, she couldn't walk more than 10 minutes at a time. So she, she got so much better to a point that she actually did the spit to manly walk. Now that's quite a long walk. And at one point she actually got sick. So, and she got a really bad cough and it was a consistent cough for a long period of time. And when she went back to her GP, she went to her basic GP and explained to her GP about her pelvic floor dysfunction and the fact that the cough was making it worse. And this GP actually turned around and said to this woman who has been, had been at that point through such a long journey, this GP said to this woman that that's just the way that it's going to be from now on. And this is the, this is the message that women are getting is that that's just the way that it is. But I think that we need to change that message. And I think the message needs to be, it doesn't have to be this way and it doesn't always have to be that way. And there are things that you can do and there are before falling pregnant, there are things that you can do during pregnancy. There are things that you can do after pregnancy to make sure that the impact on the, on your body is not as great as it could potentially be. And I think that's kind of, that's how I see my role in all of that as well but we're not really here to talk about me. So um, so just in terms of your pregnancy and your postnatal journey, what would be the thing that you feel was your greatest lesson during that time? My first pregnancy? Just throughout the whole, but throughout the whole journey. Um, well, I think like nothing is how you expect it to be like you can dream that it's going to be a certain way but it's just it's just not and sometimes you just got to go through the journey and I think that's just a life lesson anyway mm. um, you, you might have big dreams of how it's going to work out but it's not always going to be that way isn't that so, the truth <laughs> like be flexible you've just got to be flexible and I think that's something that you know I've, I'm always working on so um and that was a big lesson during pregnancy and birth and trying to get pregnant the second time. And you've just got to like, just go with the flow. Mm. Yeah. And so in terms of that, what would you see as the most difficult aspect of your pregnancy and postnatal journey? Um, well, getting pregnant the second time was definitely probably the worst part. Um, I had several miscarriages and like late ones, you know, well, not late, but, you know, I'd go to my 12-week scan and and the baby had died or, you know, go to my 12-week scan and the, and the baby had died and missing a limb, that kind of thing. And that whole hope that, oh, my God, I'm pregnant. Yay, I can't wait to have another child because, you know, I was I was late to have my first child anyway. I was 36 when I had Vincent. Um, and I sort of just wanted to get on with it so I could get on with my life. Like I had, you know, as a female, especially when you're running your own business, you have these ideas of what your life is going to be like, and you want to have children and you sort of want to get it over and done with so you can get back on track in your life. Um, and that's definitely how I felt. So I, it was hard. It was really hard getting pregnant the second time. That was really difficult um, emotionally and physically. So that was a massive lesson. Um, and then the second time round, I think I learned from the first mm. in that 
you've just got to go with the flow mm. and you've got to have formula. <laughs> you've got to have formula. Well, I mean, I have spoken with a lactation specialist and I think, you know, like my mum's a Karatani nurse and she's always just said, listen, all that matters is that the mum and the baby are happy and healthy exactly. yeah. at the end of the day. So yeah, I'm. thank you for sharing that with us. Like I know that was, I was, I was there through that time. And I think even now, like we all grow and we all evolve and just knowing you were going through that was heartbreaking. So I appreciate you sharing that with us today because it it's, it is a difficult time in anyone's journey. So, and then, you know, when you talk about, you know, wanting to get back on track with your life, you know, I know that redefining yourself and finding your purpose again after having children has been a journey for you. So, you know, what did that journey look like for you? Like finding your purpose again? Um, well, I really feel like that's only happened in the last year or so. And I do think that's down to um, my youngest child going to school. I felt like I had the brain space to actually think about where I was going or what I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, I'm always trying to like grow personally and professionally. And um, I think at the beginning of last year, I decided this was post um, setting up creative women's business and we were holding events and I felt really uncomfortable talking to everyone. Um, standing up in front of a crowd, I felt really nervous and felt like those whole, those years of being told um, be seen and not heard or my mum constantly saying to me, shh, be quiet, really played over in my head. So when I had to stand up in front of a large group of people and talk, I felt like I wasn't worthy. And anyway, so I went on this course to learn how to speak in front of a crowd. And from that, I started practicing doing it on TikTok and Instagram. And I realized a light bulb went off last year where I could see some of my friends and family posting photos or videos of themselves in a poorly lit situation or not knowing how to stand and it just sort of all it snowballed so but you know I do think it's after Vincent uh, and Vivian I I tried to find clients and I was like I'm just not getting anywhere I just don't feel like these clients value me I'm not right for them and I know why that is because I'm right I'm right for the masses I'm not right for one niche client I'm not I'm not a Vogue photographer I never thought I would be a Vogue photographer I I shoot I like to shoot a personality I want to shoot someone I want to be around people that really want to be there who want to create an amazing picture of themselves because they need it. Um, but then I saw that loads of other people on the amazing social media that we all live on these days need it too. So that's sort of how it's sort of come about. And it's it's a lot of um, I started journaling and meditating. That all happened sort of COVID time. And since I've been doing that, I've been able to reflect and understand myself even better I mean I've got to say life begins at 40 so yeah it does yeah <laughs> so how do you see your like the journey 
as being a mom? How do you see that influencing what you do now? Um, Turning as being a mom, well, I feel really privileged. Like I'm really, I'm privileged. So I want to give back. Mm. I'm like, I'm, I'm a, you know, I live in a beautiful country in a beautiful city in a beautiful house. And I, it's not that I feel guilty about that. I just feel like I could give people more. So to me, what fills me up is I go into take a photo of someone and they're feeling completely nervous about having their photo taken but I've got, you know, little tips and tricks that I've picked up over the years of being an assistant and being a photographer. I know how to tell people how to stand. I mean, my husband calls me super bossy as well as nosy, but it it works. That's what we all love about you. (laughs) (laughs) Nosy and bossy. Yeah. So I feel, and then that person feels so good when they've seen their photo or they've made those slight adjustments. So I just want to give that to people. Like it shouldn't be a secret. And, you know, there aren't a lot of people that are doing that. You know, I've got a wealth of knowledge. My knowledge is photography. So why can't I share that? Mm. Amazing. And just in terms of kind of redefining yourself, again, as a photographer, like, let's talk about that journey because you've gone like in, in the process of this conversation, you've talked about coming back to Sydney, you were struggling to find work for a couple of years before you fell pregnant. Then you had two children, you know, and there's just trying to get back into that again. I know that was, that was a bit of a struggle as well. So how did you redefine yourself? I mean, with like you've, you were talking about journaling and meditating. Was there any other tools or courses like you did a speaking course? Were there any other things that you did to kind of help you redefine yourself and help you find your purpose again? Um, I think a lot of it is self-reflection and just finding what sparks joy in your life. Mm. So I just notice when I go into, I spend a lot of time going to offices and taking photos of people who don't normally have their photo taken and just that joy when they see a picture of themselves, they're like, oh, I actually look really nice. It's like, yeah. I know what I'm doing and I can tell you how to stand and sit and be and look this way and do that thing. And that's, I think, yeah, it's just, it's all just been trial and error. And like, I think we're always evolving, hopefully. I mean, if you aren't, I think you're going to get left behind in life. Well, there's only... There's only three ways there. You've got maintenance, creation, and destruction. So if yeah. you're not, if you're not like, if you're not creating, you're sitting in maintenance, which is going to draw destruction sometime soon to create change. So that's my way of looking at it anyway. But um, so we've got one last question, and that would is what's the one thing you wish women knew before they had a baby? <laughs> to see women's <laughs> okay fair yeah Yeah. so the one thing that you'd want or wish every woman knew before they had a baby was to see a specialist women's health physio most definitely most important thing don't worry about anything else Mm -hmm. go and see them 
get your stretches done before you're about to go into labor. Make sure you are on top of all that stuff. Um, and keep moving and keep exercising. And, you know, um, I think that's really important. So I think a lot of people get, a lot of women get um, put off by doing exercise because they're worried about what they might be doing. But um, I think as long as you've got the right people around you to tell you what you can and can't do, I think that's that's really important. So, yeah. And be flexible. Yeah, and be flexible. Don't go in there with a plan because it never goes to plan. It's like life, you know, like, mm. I don't know. My mum paid for the calm birth because she really wanted me to have the experience. And, look, it was an experience. But... <laughs> <laughs> like it was an experience <laughs> yeah yeah but wow. um yeah I think I think it's um just be open-minded and flexible because you just don't know what's going to happen mm. you can plan but it's never it, like you have to have some flexibility in the plan absolutely yeah 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 and of course exercise most definitely I mean I love exercise like it's I do it daily now 5.30 a.m. I'm in the garage or I'm out running or walking the dog. So, um, yeah, it's just got to, you've got to move your body. I mean, my daughter asked me a few weeks ago, Mum, why do you get up and exercise every morning? And it's like because as humans we're meant to move our bodies. We're not meant to sit around, you know. So just remember that. Like we're still cavemen at heart. A hundred percent. Yep. We absolutely are. I totally agree with that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today, Katie. I really appreciate your candor and going to places where I know, you know, it is, it is difficult to talk about these things. And I know that there will be women out there that have shared similar experiences to you. And I'm hoping that hearing you talk openly about your experience might help them start talking a little bit more openly about their birth experience because I definitely you know in in what I do I see women who have had similar experiences to you in their in their births and they aren't, aren't talking about it they're not talking about it to me even though they should be talking about it to me they're not talking about it to me and it takes time to even get them to start viewing their birth as potentially something that there is a little bit of trauma around for them personally and maybe encouraging them to get into seeing someone to help them process that and talking about it or even getting them in to see the specialist women's health physio some of them are <clears throat> scared to even do that so and that's the reality of what some people don't even know that this is an option for them to do you know they they don't understand that there are people that can help them in these areas and they don't want to talk about it they it's almost like they they don't want to acknowledge that that's what's happened to them so I definitely think conversations like this where women can hear that other women's journeys is really important because it's something that hasn't been talked about before. And I think it's something that does need to be talked about a little bit more and be accessible to more people rather than just maybe having a conversation with your girlfriend here and there. So thank you so much. I appreciate, I know you went to some very, very personal places in this 
conversation, which I appreciate. Well, thanks for asking the questions. And I do hope that I have helped someone. And if you're hearing this message, I want to say a huge thank you, because it means that you've listened to this entire episode. Of course, if you have any questions about the things that we covered in this episode or want to know more about me or my other projects, you can find me on YouTube and Instagram at The Pregnancy Process. For those currently in their conception or pregnancy journey, you can actually apply to join my complimentary but private community, The Preggy Training Crew. And you'll find my community application and social media links in the episode description. And of course, if you enjoyed this episode, I absolutely encourage you to share it with other women just like you. And I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.